Chapter 9 of The Clue of the Gold Coin by Helen Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Skull and Crossbones. Heavy storms carrying snow, hail, fog, and winds of gale proportions had swirled down out of the northwest and enveloped the entire Atlantic seaboard from the Carolinas northward in the worst weather of the year. All flights out of New York had been cancelled for 24 hours. And so, now it was Thursday afternoon instead of Wednesday when Captain March touched down the tricycle landing gear of his big DC-6B on the concrete strip at Tampa Airport. The usually calm and placid air had been as rough as a rolling sea even at the plane's normal over-weather altitude for the first two hours of the flight. And since the ship was packed to capacity due to yesterday's cancellations, Vicky and Kathy had their hands full. But here, over Florida's west coast, the sun shone brightly. The blue waters of Tampa Bay caught a billion sunbeams and threw them back up into the sky like a shower of tiny diamonds. Below, the palm trees fluttered their long fronds in the lazy breeze. It had been just a week ago today, Vicky remembered, that their ship had carried the cargo of gold coins that had seemed to vanish so mysteriously into thin air. She wondered if Mr. Quayle had acted on the information she had given him after her adventures in Vibor City, or if there had been any new developments of any kind in the mystery of the stolen gold coins. Well, in any case, she'd soon find out but right now she had better get a move on if she wanted to be in time for tonight's big event. It was late by the time she arrived at the Curtin's home. Mrs. Tucker, the housekeeper, met her at the door. We heard about the bad weather in New York on the radio, Mrs. Tucker said, and weren't sure whether you were going to make it today or not. The girls went on ahead to take their places on the float for the parade. They said to tell you to meet them for dinner about 8 o'clock at the Spanish Park, the restaurant you all went to the other night. Vicky saw that Mrs. Tucker was carrying a light coat over her arm, as though she had been just about to go out. The housekeeper added, Is there anything I can do for you, Miss Vicky, before I leave? She smiled half apologetically, as though a woman of her age and dignity should be aloof from such gala goings-on. I thought I'd go and see the parade myself. You go right ahead, Vicky said cheerfully. Don't worry about me. Maybe I'll see you in Vibor City. She hurried upstairs to her room, slipped out of her blue uniform, showered and then wriggled into a sleeveless red silk dress with a flaring skirt that she had bought specially for the occasion. With her silvery blonde hair, she might not look much like a Spanish senorita, but at least the bright crimson dress was a gesture. When her taxi set her down on the edge of the Latin Quarter, the old streets, with their archways extending out over the sidewalks, were teeming with people. Some wore the light-colored sports clothes that marked them as tourists and sightseers. Most of the men and women, and practically all the children, of whom hundreds were running around laughing and shouting, were in costumes. Some were dressed in Spanish clothes, Others wore pirate outfits, 
Music poured from loudspeakers over the sidewalks and from distant bands. Vicky supposed the unseen bands must be on the floats, which were probably forming up somewhere out of her sight for the parade. At the curbs, the free bean soup stands were doing a lively business. Red roses, geraniums, and variety of other brilliant flowers spilled out of windows and strewed the sidewalks. Some of the younger people were dancing in the streets. Several groups were singing. Some people were already finding places along the street and craning their necks to catch a glimpse of the coming parade. A gay spirit of carnival had Ybor City in its grasp, and Vicky joined in the laughter as she allowed herself to be carried along on the human tide of the huge crowd. She stopped at one sidewalk shop to buy a souvenir for her young sister Ginny. She chose one of the miniature imitation gold pirate ships that seemed to be the festival's most popular souvenir and slipped it into her handbag. She paused again to buy a red rose from an old woman who was selling flowers under an arcade. As she slipped it into her hair, two boys with a guitar stopped and serenaded her with a few rhythmic chords. Vicky couldn't control the impulse to whirl gaily around in a Spanish dance step. She wound up against an iron grillwork gate and paused to catch her breath. She looked up and a familiar sign caught her eye. F.R. Eaton Smith, Travel Agency. Underneath, it was a hastily lettered cardboard placard. Welcome to the Gasparilla Festival. Open house, refreshments. Inside, the house was a blaze of light. People were going in and out in a steady parade. On impulse, Vicky walked up the three steps to the entryway and entered the hall. At a long table against one wall, two senoritas were serving cakes and fruit punch. Vicky accepted a cake from a tray and a glass of punch. Is Mr. Eaton Smith around? Vicky asked one of the serving girls. She thought it would be polite and in the spirit of the evening to thank her host for his hospitality. The girl laughed gaily and waved a hand aimlessly in the direction of the several rooms that led off the central hall. He's around here, anywhere. What a wonderful old house, Vicky thought as she looked around. It must be at least a hundred years old, maybe more. The broad doorways were hung with heavy brocade drapes and huge oil paintings, so dark with age that she could hardly make out the subject matter, decorated the walls. She wandered aimlessly into the next room. At the doorway, she stepped aside to avoid a man and a woman who were coming out. As she did so, her toe struck an object on the floor that was half hidden behind an ornate screen. It was a violent case, scuffed, battered, and gray with age. There seemed to be something vaguely familiar about it. Then, suddenly she remembered the case that Mr. Titel had carried so lovingly on the plane. She looked at it more closely. Yes, the leather had worn away on the handle to expose the metal clasp. In the same way, the old man's case had been worn when she sat beside him in the plane. She bent down and lifted the lid gently. Inside was a fiddle that appeared to be as old and time-worn as the case. She looked for initials or some identifying marks on the inside of the lid, but there were none. Oh well, Vicky thought, 
There must be a thousand old violins in a place as music-minded as Vibor City. She went on into the room. On the shelf of a long built-in cabinet that lined one wall were dozens of little metal ships and swords and pirate figurines that were being hawked by peddlers all over the city. Or were these real works of art and Mr. Eaton Smith a collector? She picked up one of the ships to look at it more closely. No, it was just like the one she had bought a few moments ago for Ginny. Just a cheap little gold color metal figure. Odd enough that Mr. Eaton Smith should have so many of them. Maybe he gave them to prospective customers to advertise the pirate festival. Strolling casually around the room, admiring the paintings and antique Spanish furniture, she came presently to a door that opened into a dimly lighted room not much larger than a storage closet. Three men stood inside, talking in low half-whispers. Facing her was Mr. F. R. Eaton Smith, looking as dignified as usual in the polished rimless glasses that gave his eyes such a shiny look. His face was slightly averted as he talked earnestly with a tall, dark-haired man who was dressed in a bullfighter's costume. A third man, stocky and heavy-set, stood with his back to the door. He was wrapped in a heavy black cloak and wore a big pirate's hat. Vicky could see that he was wearing a black mask over his eyes. This was no time to interrupt, even to say thank you and she was about to leave when the bullfighter turned his head. When Vicky saw Raymond Duke's long, deeply tanned face with its thin black mustache, she involuntarily gasped. At the sound, Mr. Eaton Smith looked up, a look of surprise on his face. Who's there? he said sharply and stepped toward the door. The airline stewardess, he exclaimed. Miss Barr. Hello, Mr. Eaton Smith, Vicky said hoping that her voice didn't sound as nervous as she felt. I I was just looking for you to pay my respects. So I see, the travel agent said coldly, staring at her intently through his shiny spectacles. Raymond Duke stepped forward and made her a slight bow, a broad, white-toothed smile gleaming in his dark face. Ah, the lovely lady of the restaurant. Welcome to our fiesta. The third man had seemed to stiffen at Mr. Eaton Smith's mention of her name. He remained frozen in his tracks, his broad back turned to the doorway. There are refreshments in the hallway, Miss Barr, Eaton Smith said. Please enjoy yourself. I will join you in a moment. Vicky turned away, relieved to be free from the awkward situation, but with a hundred thoughts tumbling over and over in her head in wild confusion. Each one seemed to cry out for recognition. So there was some sort of connection between Duke and Eaton Smith. She had found old Mr. Tytell half-frightened out of his wits, leaving Duke's house. He had cried, I have to talk to you, and now the old man's violent case in Eaton Smith's house. She was sure of that now. If Mr. Tytell was also working as Eaton Smith's errand boy, was he as frightened of him as he had been of Duke? And did all these things have any bearing on Duke's strange proposition to Joey? And to the fact that Joey had been the only suspect up to now, at least so far as she knew of the theft of the pirate gold.
And who was the third man who had stood with his back to her? Was there something familiar about that stocky figure? She had obviously surprised them while they were talking about something they didn't want overheard. If not, why Mr. Eaton Smith's brisky manner after his politeness of the other day? And the open hospitality of his house tonight? All these thoughts flashed through Vicky's mind in the short time it took her to walk across the room. As she was entering the hallway, a heavy black figure brushed past her, bulled its way through the people who had entered in response to Mr. Eaton Smith's welcome sign and bolted through the door into the street. As he flashed past her, Vicky caught a glimpse of a white skull and crossbones design on the front of his hat. He might be the key to the mystery. She had to find out. She started after him. Somewhere behind her, she heard the lisping, accented voice of Raymond Duke saying urgently, Keep her here a few minutes. Don't let her go now. As she dashed through the doorway, she heard a muttered oath. End of chapter 9